Okay, I want to welcome everybody to tonight's class. This is the class for the People's School of Marxist Leninist Studies. It's a special class on the birth and the anniversary of the German Democratic Republic. It is October 8th, Thursday evening. The GDR was founded on October 7th, 1949. Okay, and so that's what this class is about tonight, to educate the younger people, to remind the older comrades what the GDR meant to us, in Deutschland, Demokratische Republik, DDR in German, DDR, German Democratic Republic. First time that a anti-fascist, anti-imperialist German state was set up on German soil. That's the history of the German Democratic Republic. And I'll, we're going to go into why it was set up. Most people don't know. And you'll, you'll find it very interesting. I first wanted to go through the the national anthem and I'm going to give you the translation I'll read it slowly risen from runes that's the title risen from runes and facing the future let us serve you for good Germany United Fatherland. Old walls are to be overcome, and we overcome them united. Because we must succeed. That the sun, the beautiful sun as ever, that the sun will shine over Germany, finally shine over Germany. Happiness and peace be granted to Germany, to our fatherland. All the world longs for peace. Extend your hand to all the peoples of the world. If brotherly, we, we unite ourselves together. We will defeat the people's enemy. Let the light of peace shine so that a mother never again will mourn the death of her son in war. Let us plow the field. Let us build our cities. Let us learn and let us create like we never ever did before and with confidence in our strength, united strength, a free generation will rise from the ashes of fascism. German youth, you're the best effort of all our people. We, we hope is united in you, you will become Germany's new life. And the sun, the beautiful sun, as ever before, will shine over Germany. Over Germany, the sun will always ever shine. Okay. I hope everybody heard that. And what's important about that is the music was done by a famous German composer named Gerhard Eisler. E-I-S-L-E-R. Gerhard Eisler and was the cultural German communist culture that came out of the party. 
his brother was named Eisler also. He was involved in the German Democratic Republic. In fact, his brother wrote a book called The Lessons of Germany, which the party has, the, C, the PCUSA has on its website, New Outlook Publishers. It's called The History of the Lessons of Germany. That's what it's called. This song, Arisen from the Ashes, is very symbolic of what it expresses, not only from the ashes of war, but from the ashes of fascism. In the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, the war ended in 1945. The GDR was established in 1949. And the reason why it took so many years, and this is going to be new to a lot of people, the object of Stalin and all the communist parties was not to set up a special republic, the GDR. The initial aim was to have a neutral Germany that was not militarized, that would never start a war again in Europe as it did in World War One and World War Two. The people that divided Germany, and this is all in history, were the allies in the West, specifically the United States. They created the GDR without even wanting to. What happened? The war ended in 45. There was no boundary, no wall between East and West. Remember, West Germany was basically French, English, and U.S. occupation forces, and the Soviets occupied the Eastern Zone. And they got along for the first few years with no problems. 1947, I believe it was 47, if I'm correct, people could tell me, the Allies introduced in the western part of Germany their own German mark. Up until then, everyone was using one German mark, the Eastern Zone and the Western Zone. The West introduced their own German mark. What that did, in effect, was the beginning of the blockade, if you know in history, the Berlin blockade. We never knew how the Berlin blockade started because the Western press told us, well, it's the communists, what do you expect from them? They're trying to take over Germany, all of Germany, and they have a blockade, and therefore we have to use an air zone to get supplies into West Berlin. Well, that's not what happened. As usual, that's not what happened. The West, and you can do this research, Google it, who introduced a separate German mark in divided Germany in, the, in 1947, 1946, 1947, question mark, and you'll see what, they, what, what, what comes through. They did it for that reason because the West, people who lived in the Western zone were able to go into the Eastern zone, were able to go from West Berlin, walk across the street, without any boundary, and walk into eastern Berlin, and they were able to buy products, all the products they wanted, which was subsidized by the socialist administration in the eastern zone. They were able to buy the products cheaper, go back into the west, and sell them at higher prices and make a profit. This is the facts of life, comrades, under capitalism. This is what goes on every day, and it had no difference at that period of time. So that's why we had two German marks, one in the east, one in the west, started by the west. Finally, we had to, we, meaning communists, had to set up a separate republic with a boundary. That lasted until 1961. In 1961, the western part of Germany continued to become a brain drain for the East. So people were educated, remember now, 49 to 61, that's a whole generation. They were brought up in the Eastern Zone, doctors, physicians, mathematicians, educated and paid for by the profits that, as you have in socialism, they were subsidized by the government, and they went back to the West, and everything that the East gave them, they used to make 
profits for themselves in the West. That's the reality. So in 1961, they put up what they called the anti-fascist wall. That's what it was called, comrade. All communists called it that way. Those who were brought up in the West did not call it that, of course. So many people, even those in the ultra-left, Trotskyites, and that sort of anarchists, sneered at that anti-fascist wall. That's not an anti-fascist wall. It is a wall to keep people in. That's what the ultra-left said. They mirrored what the bourgeoisie was saying. Well, what happened? Let's look at reality. In 1989, when the wall came down, this is all in the newspapers, the New York Times, the next day, neo-Nazis were marching in Eastern Berlin with torches. Neo-Nazis, not Democrats were marching with torches, with skinheads, etc. So to say that the East German government was wrong, that it was not an anti-fascist wall, shows that it was. I'm going to stop right there and ask for questions on what we just said. Well, I think uh, your presentation is very profound because you came up with all kinds of unheard of information because we are not that much well-versed in the international issues. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, the collapse of the Berlin Wall, what happened? in East Germany. Socialism was deeply rooted in the eastern part of Germany. How come the social system, the laboring masses, did not defend their socialist model vis-a-vis the West? The West was boasting that people who came from the eastern parts of Germany, they had never seen any electronics of that quality, and they wiped out the chocolate stuff like that. So the, uh, the international image for the East was, was uh, very unimpressive. So what do you say that the social system in the East did not exist to preserve uh, socialism in, well, in the Eastern part? Let me answer that very quickly. When I was in the Soviet Union in 1976, this was during a prosperous period, I had showed them that my pockets were empty. And I said, there was no, there was unemployment. There were no jobs in the West. And I stood there with my pockets out, and you know what they told me in English? How can you say you have no job? They never heard of that, unemployment. They never experienced it. I told him, this is capitalism. You don't have capitalism. You don't understand what I'm even saying. Apparently, you were never taught what capitalism is. And I said to the dozen your newspapers tell you what's going on in the United States? You know what the answer I got from most of them? We don't believe our newspapers. That was what I was told by young people. If that happened in the Soviet Union, it had to happen in other Eastern European countries. They believed that the West was full of gold, that life was better, you can get your own car, buy your own beautiful sneakers, whatever they thought. That's what they believed. The propaganda war was being won, in my opinion, by the West. That's why it happened. They went through the hard time. Now you ask a lot of people in the Eastern countries, the old timers will tell you quickly, life was better when we had a socialist type of system. So I got to end it for that, but it's a very profound question, and I think we need to talk about that in the book, Socialism Betrayed. One of the things that we're going to have to talk about and educate people about is Berlin itself. The wall was in Berlin, but Berlin, Berlin was inside of East Germany, well inside of East Germany. In fact, you had to take a road from West Germany to get to Berlin. And the Berlin zone was divided into four zones. So there was the USSR zone, there was the British zone, the French zone, and the uh, U.S. zone. They had this thing called Checkpoint Charlie. And when the wall was there, the wall was actually in East Germany, well inside of East Germany, because Berlin was well inside of East Germany. 
when they made a compromise to make two Germanys, the only reason that they picked Berlin was because it was the capital, and it just happened to be in East Germany. So there were a lot of complications from the very beginning that were created by the United, by the West and the Allies. Uh, I just wanted to comment on the issue of the Soviet Union trying to set up an independent, non-aligned German Republic. And the fact is they actually did it in Austria. The Soviet troops occupied a, a large part of Austria, and they negotiated with the Austrians a, a constitution that is uh, neutral, and Austria is not a member of NATO to this day. That's correct. I'm glad you brought that up, Comrade. Very good point. Um, the idea that Stalin and the Soviet Union wanted to set up socialist states in all these areas of Eastern Europe is not really correct. What they really were aiming for was a buffer zone, a buffer zone between Germany. Now, remember, Germany didn't invade Russia once. It invaded Russia twice. France invaded Russia right next to Germany. So it came from the West. Every invasion of Russia came from the West. Remember that. So they wanted a buffer zone. So when they met at Potsdam and Yalta, things were set up so that each country had a different future. Austria and Germany were the same, as Comrade Marx said. He was correct on that. Poland was supposed to be a people's democracy where many political parties formed a united front, like we talk about George Dimitrov in his book. A united front government was set up in Poland. In Hungary, United Front was set up. In Czechoslovakia, United Front Czechoslo uh, was set up. And in Yugoslavia, and that's the ones I know of basically, Bulgaria also. So this idea that Stalin wanted to take over was not politically correct. It was not historically correct. I just want to <gasps> say, I know, um, I know it's actually kind of a big thing in the, the German sort of public consciousness that uh, after World War II, uh, the United States and NATO, basically the United States and NATO literally kept many Nazis in their own positions, you know, in, in their old places, whereas the Soviets had to build up their intelligence agencies and stuff like that from scratch. So, I, I don't know, when, when we say that, it, you know, West Germany was fascist, I mean, you're not paranoid if they really are out to get you, you know? Um, thank you. That's all. Hello. Um, when you mentioned that there were political reasons for putting up the Berlin Wall, were there economic as well? Correct, definitely. When they did that, they stopped the brain drain, number one. So people who are educated in the German Democratic Republic then went into, when they finished their education, they gave to the population of the German Democratic Republic everything they learned. There was no more brain drain. Brain drain is also money. So there was none of, of that. This fact, let me tell you something that's going to shock you all. The standard of living in the German Democratic Republic in 1971, according to the United Nations, was higher than England. That should be shocking to everybody on this phone. The German Democratic Republic, the standard of living was higher than in England. Second point, of all the countries in Europe, the GDR was counted in the first 10. The first 10 industrial countries of Europe, the GDR was there. Most interesting, because there was a lot of countries in Europe. Spain, Portugal, all those countries were not in that list, but the GDR was. So um, when the intellectuals were leaving the GDR, were they leaving for better pay, or they, were they leaving to start their own businesses? And why was there better pay in Western Germany? Okay, they were leaving to start their own businesses and better pay, both. I'll give you an example. Again, my experience in the Soviet Union. Anybody came up to us and spoke, they know right away that you're not from their country. You're a foreigner by the way you dress, the way, the way your hairstyle is. 
And English was the number foreign language, remember that, in the Soviet Union in 1970. They came up to me, and one guy was, and I'll never forget this, one guy, he, made out, he went out of his way to tell me. He says, I want to go to West Germany. That's what he said. And so we asked him why. He said, because my brother lives there, and he said, there's a lot of money there. This came out, out of the guy's mouth. Now, who was this guy? He was a Jewish guy. And that, that's important for me to mention that, because we're told that there was anti-Semitism in the Soviet Union. This is what the West has told us. Yet, the number of doctors, the number of mathematicians, academia, were mostly percentage-wise. They were not, they were of the Jewish background. So this guy was Jewish. He says, I want to leave. If you stop me from leaving, it's because I'm a Jew. Therefore, it's anti-Semitism. You see how it all works together. They did not leave, not want to leave for any other reason except economic. That was my understanding and experience of the refugees. Thank you. Left the GDR. (laughs) So, it was basically because they wanted to make more money with the education they received under socialism. Okay. I really wanted to share this. I think everyone on the call will find this fascinating. There's a similar situation going on right now, right here in our country on the border. And it's it's way different. Obviously, uh, people used to live in the GDR because, as mentioned, they had free housing, free health care, free education. The standard of living was great. And then they could go across the border and make all this money in the West. So they got the best of both worlds. And what's happening right now in our country is because everything is so expensive here. All these people live in Mexico. And then they just come up and they work in California and then they go home in Mexico. And it's the same exact situation. Obviously, it's, Mexico is a completely different situation. It's very bad down there. Um, but all the stuff going on right now, like... Uh, the border walls going up and all the just everything going on. I just wanted to share that point. This is the current theme, in my opinion, right now in our country. Thank you for that. Now, back to this, the issue of the end of the war. This is very important. We need to study about what the Marshall Plan was. The Marshall Plan was a plan pushed by the U.S. after World War II, and they came right out with it, and they said, we're going to use American taxpayer money to build up the, the destroyed countries of Europe because of the war. And we want them to form contracts with U.S. corporations. U.S. corporations will provide X, Y, or Z. We will have a market, and the people will have a way to build themselves out of their destruction. Okay. All the communists were opposed to the Marshall Plan, and so was the Soviet Union. What we said at the time was that the Marshall Plan is going to prevent people from voting communists, which is what the West wanted. So in Italy, France, Belgium, Netherlands, all the countries that were liberated, that in the Western Europe were liberated by communist movements. Remember, the people in Italy, France, Yugoslavia, who overthrew the Nazis, were not necessarily the U.S. invading forces. They were also the native partisan movement in each of those countries. And the partisan movement, you all seen the booklet that we have here called The Communists Liberating Europe. A facts and figures on who led the movements, and it was communists. When they were voting in Italy, 1948, the Pope, at the time a pro-fascist Pope, and there were pro-fascist Popes, comrades, just like there were pro-left Popes, pro-fascist Popes were telling the people, don't vote for the communists, they're godless. So you have to vote for the Christian Democrat. So the Marshall Plan was made for a certain reason. The reason why I'm bringing in the Marshall Plan, because when West Germany was rebuilt, which meant all the Nazi corporations, Krupp, IG Farben, the people who produced the gas for the gas chambers, uh, the people who produced the tanks and the missiles under the Nazi regime, they were all helped to be rebuilt with American taxpayer money. This is a fact. Again, go back to the newspapers. Please, comrades, at that time, do research. 
What was the Marshall Plan? Why did the communists hate it? Why did the West support it? Question mark. In the east of Germany, they not only did not have a Marshall Plan, but they had to give back to the Soviets entire factories. They were dismantled in the east and sent to the West and sent to Germany because of what the German Nazis did to the Soviet factory system. They destroyed the whole thing. So it was in part of the, the agreement between the Eastern Zone company, country called German Democratic Republic and the Soviet Union, that they had to help rebuild this, the structure, the infrastructure of the Soviet Union. And that meant they suffered twice, whereas the West Germans got more and the East Germans basically had a, they got less. That was what the economic and the Marshall Plan was about. The next thing I wanted to talk about was the issue of neo-Nazis in the government of West Germany. Well, fascinating. I'm just going to mention two of them. The Prime Minister Adenauer in the West German government in the early period, in the, I think it was in the 50s, I could be wrong, but I think it was in the 50s. He was actually, and they had pictures of him, a Nazi uniform talking to Hitler. They put that person at the head of the West German government. Another person of Nazi background was the people that were controlling the corporations. They all worked. They had Nazi uniforms. They had been integrated into the Nazi government in Germany. Now they are at the head of corporations in West Germany. The whole system, as Comrade said, not only, but also the system of sending missiles up into space, NASA type of things, national uh, NASA, they all came from the Nazis the scientists, etc., etc., etc. So they rebuilt that whole period. Let's see what else we wanted to go back into to tell you that the Nazis. Anti-fascism was the ruling ideology in GDR. It was not true in West Germany. The only thing the West Germans did was you could not have a swastika and you could not have a statue of Hitler. That's it. But everything else, as far as Nazism was concerned, was allowed in the West not in the East. Let's go into fraternal help of the East German government. I'm looking at the time. All the liberation struggles in the 70s, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau in Africa, Nicaragua in Latin America, El Salvador, Latin America, Angola in Africa, Vietnam in Asia. All the liberation struggles were helped by the East German government. And let me take it a step further. And I hope this doesn't bring up a can of worms, because that's not what we're talking about tonight. Because it's a whole other subject, so please don't go into this when we answer questions. We can talk about it at another class. The establishment of the State of Israel, many people don't know. It was because of the communist movement and the Soviet Union, which meant Stalin, let's not forget that, that we agreed to have a liberation movement in Palestine to set up a state for the Jewish people. Why did we do that? Young people don't understand this at all. They question mark. Very simple. Let's go back to the period of time. Concentration camps were liberated, 1945, by the Red Army. For the first time, the world saw that this existed. Up until then, they were denying it. Everybody was denying it. Nah, that's not true. These are vacation spots for Jews. They should be happy. They're so lucky. They don't have to pay room and board. All this nonsense. And what they were were real death camps, concentration camps and death camps. Now the world knew what anti-Semitism did under fascism. So we needed to have a homeland. And therefore, the Soviet Union was the first one to push for that. The arms for the struggle against British colonialism, by the way, most young people don't know, it had nothing to do with the Palestinians. Most of the struggle in Palestine 
after World War I was by British imperialism. The Balfour Declaration, do some research. Balfour Declaration, what it was, what it meant. British imperialism had its foothold in the Middle East and that area, they had to be stopped. And so that's the reason why we wanted to set up a liberation movement there. Um, I hope people don't ask me questions about that now because I'm not going to answer them. Uh, we need to have another class on this. The point I'm making, that it was the socialist anti-fascist countries like Czechoslovakia who gave arms to the movement in Israel. The Soviet Union. Did you know that the three people who signed the Declaration of Independence for Israel, there were three, only three people did it. One of them was Mayor Vilna, M-E-I-R-B-I-L-M-A, Mayor Vilna, who was the head of MAPAI, the Communist Party of Israel, if I'm saying the correct name for it at the time, and not anybody else. This is all information the young people in this phone call never heard. It's right there, comrades. It's right there. Do some research. Google. I'm going to stop now. Ask questions. I was just going to ask if you could repeat those names that you just said to look up, uh, just at the end of what you were saying. The people who uh, signed Mayor, the Declaration of Independence. Okay. Mayor Vilna. M-E-I-R. First name, Mayor. Polish. Vilna. V like in victory. I. L like in Larry. I think it's Vilna. Vilma. Vilna. I think it's N-E-R. Vilna. And I suggest you uh, get information. We have a pamphlet. Program for Jewish Survival written by the Communist Party in 1948. You should read during the Stalin period. It's important that you know that. I just wanted to say that um, the project that you were talking about, Angelo, when they put all those Nazis in positions of power in West Germany and, like, founded NASA with their scientists and stuff was called Operation Paperclip. You should Google it. Thank you. Operation Paperclip. Everyone should write this down. This is a school. Thank you. Uh, were people able to be paid better in, in West Germany because of all the, or like the intellectuals at least, because of the investment by the U.S. and other capitalist nations? Yeah, the Marshall Plan helped put money from American taxpayers into the hands of the corporations in West Germany, and they paid their workers with they paid. Remember, it's capitalism, which meant you had people who were living below the economic level, especially after World War II in Germany. Remember, we had a communist party in West Germany, and the working class was... The thing is, you compare what they were getting paid to the East, you'll see the difference. But it wasn't because socialism was not beneficial. It was because of the collective debt that the East German society had to the countries that they attacked. I hope that explained a little Remember, it's capitalism in West Germany, so you still have a standard of living that varied from very poor to very wealthy. I hope these classes make everyone here want to learn more about that period. I was born in 47. I didn't even know what was going on as all this was going on. I didn't find out until I was in college years later. But all this was happening while I was eating baby food from Gerber's. This was going on around me, and I didn't even know. Remember, it was also the period of the Rosenberg electrocution, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. And I'm not going to get into that tonight, but that's another whole class that I think the new members have to know. What did the party do in the McCarthy period? Why did we go underground, half of us, and the other half stayed on the top? These all questions have to be raised so that we can apply it to what's going on around us as fascism is taking hold throughout the world. Even if it's not taking hold here, it's taking hold throughout the world. Uh, just today, an exciting thing happened uh, yesterday. The fascists in Greece called the Golden Dawn, they were behind various murders. 
and you wouldn't know it listening to American newspapers, but there were tens of thousands of people in front of the courthouse waiting for the verdict. And a chair came up, and uh, the verdict was that they were guilty. So fascism is still rearing its head around this planet. Don't kid yourself. If there's no other questions before I go on. What impact on like public school curriculum did the Marshall Plan dictate upon those countries that accepted the aid? Very good, very good. I'll answer that quickly. As a former uh, educator, school teacher for 32 years, I did a paper on this, believe it or not, in college. And what happened is that in the Eastern Zone, their textbook geared to exposing what fascism was, what it did, and the economic roots of fascism which is the corporations. Remember, the sign of the German Communist Party, the poster, I don't know if you know this, there was a poster in Germany in the elections, 1932, and the election of the German Communist Party was, there are millions behind Hitler. And then you look at the poster, and you see Hitler, and behind him there are millions, not people, millions of German marks. So that's what's exposed and explained in the East German school books, that the people that push Hitler were basically the corporations. I don't know if that explains anything, but in the West, they deal with fascism like they do here. Oh, it's an aberration. It has nothing to do with capitalism, that kind of thing. I just wanted to clarify how exactly was the Marshall Plan so detrimental to communist movements around the liberated countries in Europe? Okay, really simple. Everything was devastated in Europe from the war. Almost every country had villages and towns that were decimated. People had no job. There was no medical help. There was no schooling. You we can't understand that is living here in this country. We were not touched by World War II. You realize that? We were not touched. The rest of the world was destroyed. China, through the Japanese invasion and the struggle against Japanese occupation, was decimated. Village after village, Shanghai, all the different Peking, all the different Nanking, was famous for being destructed by, by, by the war. We didn't have that here in this country, so we really don't understand that. Very simple. You have nothing. People are offering you solutions. The bourgeois politicians are saying, we're going to get this money from the United States. They're our new friend. They're going to help. The communists were saying, the only way you're going to get help is by picking yourself up, taking over the means of production. Take the means of production, and you control it, and then you build up your own society. That was what was offered to the, the decimated peoples of Europe, people that came out of the concentration camps, what they call the DPs, displaced people. Europe was a complete mess after World War II. That was reason why the Marshall Plan was a propaganda attack uh, against the socialist alternative means of production. It shows that rather than getting that long-term solution, they were offering this short-term solution for a very, exactly. high, a very bad uh, reason, like not actually anything super good. Right, exactly. Let me just give you an update on the struggle to get, in 1949, to give it in a, in a whole, explain it. 1949, let's look at it in relation to the period of time we were living at that time. There were two revolutions. There was a revolution in the biggest country of the world, China. People have to remember, October 1st, which was the same week as October 7th, the same year, the People's Republic of China was proclaimed in China. I don't know the city, but it could have been Shanghai. I wouldn't swear by it, but it was proclaimed by the Communist Party in China with Mao Zedong as one of the leaders, one of the leaders of that party. And seven days later, six days later, the German Democratic Republic was born. What was happening at that period of time besides that? Well, I'll tell you what was happening. In 1949, NATO was set up. NATO, North American Treaty Organization, which was a force to stop supposedly Soviet military advances. That was the idea. However, there was no alternative to NATO in 
until 1955. They set up the Warsaw Pact countries in response to NATO. So who started what first? It was NATO starting first as an aggressive power against the peoples of Europe. Because remember, NATO says, NATO says if there's any uprising in your country, we can come in and help the ruling class in your country remain uh, continue to hold power. That was the whole idea of NATO originally. There was no opposition force. Warsaw Pact didn't start a couple of years later as a response. This is all stuff you should know. Because to answer the, the, uh, the arguments by the apologists for American imperialism, this you should know. What else happened? They started to build socialism in all the countries of Eastern Europe during the Stalin period. And it was done on what they call United Front governments. I mentioned Poland, Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, Hungary. It was called the Fatherland Front, F-R-O-N-T. That meant all the political parties were joining together to build socialism, not capitalism, socialism, not market socialism. They were here to build socialism, not a market mechanism. So the period was on the uprise, so much so that the whole world was following a communist program indirectly, one way or the other. We were on the march. And to ask yourself the question, what did the West have to do to fight? They tried different things, NATO, other things. They couldn't stop us. They couldn't stop building socialism at that period of time. Um, and eventually, in my opinion, they eventually came through using 1956, the, denun the denunciation of Stalin. In my opinion, the West used that to fan the flames of division between the new communist country of China and the Soviet Union and the socialist countries of Eastern Europe. But that's my feeling. I don't want, I don't want to go on anymore. It's five after. Um, my greatest regret in my personal life was that I never visited visited the German Democratic Republic. I really regret that because we don't know what the future is going to hold for our ideology. We know that Marx said that um, there were ebbs and, and tides and ebbs in our struggle. He mentioned the Paris Commune in the 1800s where we lasted 70 days and then the reactionaries crushed us in blood and the next time it happened was in 1917. It lasted almost 75 years before that was crushed. The next time, it's, according to Marx, it's going to last longer. And I want to end the class with that. I lived in Germany actually, just across the river, just north of Lübeck, and I knew a lot of East Germans because they had come over when the wall came down, and what I wanted to say was that um, <clears throat> there was also a lot of suicides being conducted, you know, being done by a lot of people, both young and old, East Germans, and the reason why is because they were, just like Angelo said, you're just pretty much being brought up by wolves. In capitalism, all those protections they had in the East were gone. So a lot of people realized very, very quickly it wasn't over the course of years, um, the mistake that had been made. And a lot of people, and uh, this is not for any other reason, they blame one person, and that was Gorbachev. That's right. And that's all I have to say. That is correct. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. That's exactly true. Yeah, I had a quick question, actually. Um, did the USSR forgive any of the reparations that East Germany was forced to pay? As far as I know, the answer is no. As far as I know, I could be wrong, but as far as I know, the answer was no. They were so angry of the destruction. Remember, every family in the Soviet Union was affected, not just people in the army. Everything was torched. Villages were burned, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. They were very angry. So that was their position. Listen, I've got a strong background.
background in this area of the world in this time in history, and I, I can say that everything that you said is exactly correct. Thank you, Comrade. And I just wanted to, like, tie something we talked about early in the class with a modern example. I don't know if anybody's seen, it's like a comedy video. I don't know if anybody has seen this, but it kind of reminds you of the situation you were talking about where nobody knew what the concept of being unemployed was and, you know, with the propaganda. Today, in that video, it's like they, they interview people from the EU and it shows how the U.S. and the EU are different in the way the U.S. treats the EU because in that video, they ask the people, how much do you think it costs for an ambulance to come to get you in the United States? And they would say, like, free 200 bucks, and then they get told $5,000, and then they and their jaws hit the floor. So it just kind of highlights the difference even between us and the level of socialism that they have now over there, and just how much we keep it down here, and people put up with it. Thank you, Comrade. It never ceases to amaze me the levels that former Nazis were able to get in in the government of West Germany, and a uh, comrade mentioned earlier Operation Paperclip. I'm very familiar with that because Von Braun was actually placed in Alabama to uh, build the space program, and he's looked upon very favorably, unfortunately. Thank you, Comrade. But I was wondering, uh, what do you think about Walter Ulbricht and Eric Honecker as leaders of the GDR? You know, some of the policies and things that they did. Oh, I'll, I'll make it quick. I'm, I'm not a professional in this area. I know more than the average person, but I'm not a professional. But my understanding is both of them were active, especially Ulbricht was active when the Nazis were there in Germany and he had to escape to the Soviet Union. And Honecker started out as the leader of the Free German Youth, FDJ, the FDJ, which was a communist youth organization. And I think both of them did a good job at that time that they were head of the party. That's my contribution to that. YouTuber who made those videos named Socialist Swan, Swan with two N's, look him up on YouTube. And then there are also links to his Twitter and Patreon if you want to support him. Thank you, Comrade. Yes, I wanted to remark something on the economic aspect. I read that actually more people immigrated from West Germany to East Germany than from East Germany to West Germany. And that was due to the fact that in East Germany, they had excellent benefits in retirement for their elderly people. So a lot of older citizens of West Germany would immigrate to East Germany to benefit from the benefits of the socialist country gave their older people. Thank you very much for that. I want to add to that. People don't know that a lot of people from Polish background who were born in Poland and then immigrated here during the years of socialism in Poland, I know people that were born there, came here. When they retired, they moved back to Poland, back to Poland, because on an American Social Security check, they can live very well. This was up until 1989. Thank you. I was wondering how much involvement did the Soviet Union have in the formation of the GDR, or was it completely independent? No, they had a lot of input. The people that went back to Germany from the Communist Party of Germany when they ran to the Soviet Union to escape Nazism, they were the ones that were in the lead going back to Germany in 1945 after the war. And they were the mainstay for the governmental apparatus in the eastern zone of Germany. So they had, in my opinion, the fact that the Red Army was also there to protect the socialist communist building of a party, whereas in the western zone, they didn't have that. The governments were anti-communist. You know, in Japan, when they went back to Japan, the American Allied Forces, they were holding back building the party in Japan during that period of time. So I know that's, that's historical, according to the New York Times at the time. 
when General MacArthur had been in Japan. It had to be the same way in every country. I just wanted to add to, correct me if I'm wrong, but it really amazes me the extent to which women's liberation as well was achieved under socialism in the GDR. I believe it was like with every child a woman had, like the financial benefits, including leave from work for like up to a year paid leave, they increased for every child you had and like the quality and size of your housing also increased according to that. It's just pretty amazing to hear about. Yeah, I just want to add to that. Not only in East Germany, but in the Soviet Union, if you were married and had two children and somebody else, the husband died and it's a widower, they would make the widower move to a smaller apartment and the people who have a family who need the room, they would put them in a larger apartment. That's the way socialism operated, wherever you were in Europe. Thank you. All right, yeah, so I just wanted to clarify um, the East Europe United Front following World War II that you mentioned earlier? It was the Fargoland Front? Am I reading that correctly? They were called the Fatherland Front in Bulgaria, in Germany, in Hungary, and I think in Poland. Yeah, I just wanted to comment on how the accusation is often levied that the GDR was a puppet state of the Soviet Union, but those same people who levy that accusation never seem to be able to look internally and, you know, look at places like Puerto Rico and Guam and the U.S. Virgin Islands and understand that those are present-day colonies, actually. And if you actually Google U.S. colonies, all you're going to get is information about the 13 colonies that existed in the 1700s, but you're not going to get anything about the current day colonies that America has and is keeping people from, you know, liberating themselves. Very good point, comrade. Americans as a whole were taught that we defeated the Nazis, but in reality, like, all we really did was assimilate them into our culture. Because, I mean, Werner von Braun was the head of NASA at one point in time. And, I mean, like, if you just look at the way that we ran Operation Paperclip and basically tried to fight fight for them to come here rather than them go over to uh, Soviets. So it's just really interesting to see. Thank you, comrade. Today I listened to a podcast from Proles of the Roundtable. Episode 21 is actually on the GDR. It's uh, two and a half hours. Uh, it was a really good primer for this class tonight. I was just thinking about a question. When we talk about Operation Paperclip, something else that liberals often bring up is that they say that the USSR did the same. And then they say that there was, I believe, Operation Osoavia, Kim? I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but they say that it's essentially a Soviet version of Operation Paperclip. Yes, so that is correct. The, the Soviets did the same thing, but they did nothing numerically what the United States did. The United States took the cream of the crop when they came in, the first layer of the scientists, and then the Soviets came in and took others. But it was mostly the U.S., but that's correct. Uh, what, what year was the, the United Nations said the GDR had a higher standard of living than, what was it, England? What, what year was that? Do you yeah. have a year? That was during the 70s, according to the United Nations report. Google it. Google everything. Don't just take my word for it. Find out yourself. Would you say the uh, Marshall Plan was sort of like the foundations for neoliberalism? Yeah, I would definitely say that. Yeah, good point. That's a very good point. Thank you. That's my opinion. It's very close. GDR is really fascinating to me, at least from my perspective. The way that I view it is also that it's an example of socialism in a previous uh, imperialist country. So I think it's very valuable for us to examine. In Michael Parente's book, Black Shirts and Reds, he talks about, in Chapter 1, about the cooperation between the U.S. and uh, former Nazis in West Germany and the U.S. Uh, what was the, what did you call the front that the Soviet Union, the countries that they aided after uh, the war, 
the fatherland front? I called them fatherland fronts. Is that what you're asking? Yes. How do you spell yes. that? Fatherland. Father land. Oh, okay. Fatherland front. F-R-O-N-T. Now, I'd like to, before we close, mention that I think this was such a important class tonight on what we're talking about. Okay? And we'll end it there. I want to thank everybody for participating.